With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to your Friday After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and this morning we've got Marie-José Hull, the federal housing advocate, as my guest. Uh, Marie-José, so the city of PG, the city of Prince George, has voted to centralize all encampments to what's known as Moccasin Flats, uh, and a protected encampment uh, based on a, a Supreme Court of BC decision last year maybe two years ago, actually. Um, it claims that by centralizing these encampments, it would put them in line with the Adams decision, uh, which requires cities to, I guess, allow people to shelter somewhere overnight. Um, but I've heard from your office that this is actually a human rights violation. Could you explain how this move violates uh, the rights of our dehoused population? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, well, first of all, uh, I was in Prince George last, um, last summer, and I did spend some time with people in Mockinson Flats, but I also um, witnessed, I didn't get to spend time in the other encampments uh, that was happening in Prince George at the time because the rain was just pouring down. We were coming to deliver food, and, and everyone was, you know, trying to take shelter and keep their tents from blowing away. So I am aware that at at the time there was more than one encampment in Prince George, and I'm aware of, you know, the legal standing of the existence of Moccasin Flats. However, you know, um, we've seen a lot of decisions, uh, you know, in B.C., but also in Ontario um, that are coming from provincial courts uh, about the, um, you know, the the existence of encampments and to protect the existence of encampments. They're not going far enough. First of all, to say that, um, you know, in order to um, be in line with the human rights uh, is that um, municipalities and governments have a responsibility to supply sanitation, water, drinking water, uh, heat and cooling, electricity, harm reduction, and health and community services, and safety, and more. So, and, and in, um, when looking at raising uh, encampments, moving people along, um, there has to be engagement with the people. You know, there's decisions being made about people without consulting them. So why are they there? So for me, the first question is why were there two camps and maybe a few other smaller informal camps around Prince George as opposed to everyone being in Moccasin Flats? And and there was, you know, I haven't been able to do that engagement, but I can, you know, I'm, I can guess on a few things, but it's very important to, to be consulting with people. So that that is the first thing. So really, the, the, I would say, let just just to summarize, there are two main issues you're seeing with the way the city of Prince George is is approaching this issue. One is they are not providing any services to people camping overnight, and two, they have not engaged with people who with citizens who happen to live outside. Those are the main two points you're starting with. That's exactly it. You okay. know, and, and maybe I can back up and even say, you know, why is it that people are choosing to be outside? And it's not an adventure. You no. know, we have to be clear that people are choosing to be outside and being exposed, exposed to a lot of hostility from the public, uh, exposed to uh, harassment by police and enforcement agencies, um, and exposed to the elements. I mean, I, it is cold in Prince George in the winter, and it is hot in the summer. And, um, you know, and, and, and especially the women that we talk to in Moccasin Class, of course, you know, exposed to violence and sexual violence. And, and so this level of exposure is, 
um, that that they're choosing is because the alternatives are not meeting their needs. There right. are reasons why this is a hard choice that they've met. So that's the first violation of human rights is around housing, is that the the options that are available, it's it, uh, while encampments are a manifestation of how broken our housing systems are, and they're not guess, just in Prince George, they are across the country. Yeah, and that's These, the, the city of Prince George would say that I think two responses would be, one, well... It's not our responsibility jurisdictionally. The city of Prince George doesn't have a jurisdiction over housing. And two, what they've said about the services is they are concerned about liability if they begin to provide services to dehoused people. What would you say to those two things? It's not our it's not our problem to solve, right. and we don't we we're concerned about our own liability if we start providing services. Right. So. Um, the, the you know the question of jurisdictions around uh, the National Housing Strategy Act has enshrined housing as a human right in Canada and um, and is an all-of-government approach. So all jurisdictions of gov- governments, including Indigenous governments, have a responsibility around the realization of human rights housing. So we can't just say, oh, it's a federal legislation, therefore it's just, you know, federal jurisdiction. So that, that's a misnomer, first of all. It is all-of-government. And um, second of all, well, yeah, and it's true that encampments do really fall to municipal responsibility. Um, and, you know, the federal government needs to engage more and provide more support with municipalities around the issues of encampments. But um, in, ter- in terms of the liability, I think I would be more worried about forcing people out of encampments or into unsafe situations by consolidating encampments or just being told people you can only be here, I'd be more worried about the liability of something bad happening there and then being held to account. Um, so, you know, there's um, a lot that, of, that's what I'd be worried about. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, that's that's that was my thinking. Um, why, why would you be worried about liability for providing services when in fact forcing people into a single encampment is more likely to increase your liability because you were responsible for that. I mean, I'm, man, I like, I have nightmares about cholera outbreaks and things. These places are not, uh, like, Moccasin Flats is, is, has no services. Uh, but the, I guess the concern here is, you know, what are we supposed to do? And I'm always looking for, like, what are, what are the best practices in, in this? We, we, we are putting a band-aid on a gaping wound. It'll be years before, you know, British Columbia's budget recently came out with a massive increase in, uh, investment in affordable housing. But it'll be years before we see the results of that. It took years to get a single 50 unit supportive housing unit built here in Prince George. Uh, and we have, at last count, uh, around 180 people who are, who are on the streets sleeping rough and more than much more than that in terms of the homeless population but you know what are what are we to do here what are some best practices that we could be following well um you know my colleagues and i have are doing our first uh, review uh, on a systemic issue on encampments uh we know that there's going to be some best practices that are going to be uh resulting from that deep dive on the systemic I- issue from across the country but the best practices are going to be, uh, we've got a team that's doing research in Prince George uh, right now. Um, but, you know, the, the first thing is you need to engage with the people in encampments. What is it that they want? What is it that they need? And they can also provide solutions. And the solution is not we want a place with hardwood floors and a granite countertop and a big yard. I can tell you that. 
And, you know, that's always the fear that if we start asking people what they want, they're going to ask for the moon. And, and, and so there is that. Um, so, you know, you need to engage. That is the first best practice. And, you know, it is about choice based. Um, so, uh, I, I would, you know, I think the solutions are within the communities in Prince George, but not having an us and them um, approach. It needs to be a human rights approach and a human centered approach. Some of the language that I'm seeing in some of the media reporting is really about us versus them. And it's recognizing that people, you know, they are members of your community. And it's not them using our space, it's everyone's space. And if we're going to look under, you know, Indigenous jurisdiction and Prince George, according to the point in time count of, of homelessness in Prince George, 90 or 70% of people experiencing homelessness in Prince George or houselessness are Indigenous. And under the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, um, you know, no one has any right to, to expel Indigenous folks from land. So, you know, there is that in terms of, you know, the, the UNDRIP needs to be respected as well. So, therefore, uh, it's really important that First Nations be around the table when decisions are being made um, around um, encampments and, and homelessness as well. And so that's where you're going to get a lot of direction. And, and by you, I mean, you know, city council. And, um, you know, look at the experts. Who are the experts in the community? Um, you know, you've got a lot of, well, first of all, people with lived experience, but um, people who are living this, people who have lived this and have, are no longer uh, living in encampments or no longer experiencing homelessness, what's worked for them. And, um, but it's going um, to be a different answer. But with that, you're going to get an, an array of solutions. But it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. One-size-fits-all fits no one. Right. I mean, there is clearly a move towards a requirement to, to, uh, to see some services at the very least. Um, I'm guessing that that's going to, that needs to also be paired with I mean, maybe some uh, some small small housing, tiny houses, as they say. I know that there are people in town uh, who are actually have actually offered to start constructing small units that can be portable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just my my I'm just not sure how we can come to a common common ground here considering that it seems to me that the staff at city hall who are putting these proposals forward uh seem to be coming back to the same kind of blunt object uh as you know as they did before when they were trying to uh to use a court injunction to evict people from an encampment um there doesn't seem to be much creativity or compassion happening here and i'm just not sure where we go in order to change those uh change those minds at the it's really at the staff level yeah yeah and you know the changing the mind part is you know changing the culture it's changing the again the us versus them you know calling homelessness the problem um, or, you know, and the, the important part around the human right to housing is looking at systemic issues so it never devolves to, you know, blaming the individual. It is really looking at the systems that are in place that are barriers to uh, housing for people. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, always keep, you know, a person-centered uh, approach 
Um, and if that doesn't exist, you're never going to get anywhere. And you are always going to come into this more punitive approach um, and the, using the punitive tools. But we have to understand that, you know, um, encampments, one, is a very difficult choice. It is, like I said, a physical manifestation of how broken the housing and homelessness systems are, um, that, you know, uh, in their existence, not only are they not, um, there's not enough to meet the need, but it, 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 a lot of the systems create exclusion for people, and that to raise encampments is to force people into more dangerous situations for them. For example, you know, forcing people maybe deeper into the bush and away from the community resources that do provide support, that community organizations can no longer find people in order to, to provide the support, that, um, you know, that uh, women and, and girls, you know, are already very much at risk, but this will, to raise encampments, will further put them at risk. And then there's the trauma around the... Um, you know, the relationships with enforcement, you know, and I, and I just spent the week in Saskatoon where, um, you know, the police and especially the fire chief, you know, have a very positive relationship with people in encounters, believe it or not. But it took years to build that trust. And if that trust isn't there, to have a police presence is very traumatizing. And even worse, you know, a, a security firm, because then, you know, where does the liability um, lie? Right. It's, and and that is not a solution. You know, and again, it puts people's, uh, you know, safety that much more at risk. It doesn't prevent violence, but it's... You know, people are not choosing, for those that are not choosing to go to Moccasin Flats, why? All right. I really appreciate your time, Marie-Josée Houle, a federal housing advocate. Um, we'll be continuing to, to, I'm sure, talk with you about this issue, and hopefully uh, we can come to a solution that actually includes those issues that you're discussing, engagement with the people who are impacted, and building some services for them. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Take good care. Bye. If you're looking for those long-forgotten rock songs, then tune in to Beneath the Grooves with Jenny and BC Kid every Saturday night at 8 for deep-cut rock tracks from the 60s to the 80s. Hear from well-known artists like the Moody Blues and the Alan Parsons Project, as well as obscure acts like Sugarloaf and Madrigal. It's the band you love, but the songs you've forgotten on Beneath the Grooves. Saturday nights at 8 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes. Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? 
Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, wind up to 15K, heading for a high of 6. Tonight, clear, becoming partly cloudy near midnight. More wind, a low of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 8. For Saturday, clearing, wind becoming north 20 in the afternoon and a high of 7. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. With the Friday political panel, we've got Eric Allen, Trudy Clausen, Herb Martin, and Art Betke. Let's continue the discussion on this uh, on City Hall's uh, well preliminary acceptance of the proposal to centralize the the homeless camp. There's a couple things that we should probably follow up on. That was you know an interesting conversation I just had with the federal housing advocate. She focused on the importance of consultation with citizens who are impacted by a decision of government, uh, as well as providing services. Those are also the some of the main things that popped out when I looked at the the UN Special Rapporteur and the Right to Housing Report. Um, she's actually from Can- from Canada. She wrote a national protocol for homeless encampments in Canada, and that included that requirement for consultation with the people who are impacted by decision-making and their need for services. What I'm hearing from the city is that Cities' services will lead to liabilities. I'm wondering, folks, do we think that that's the case? Should we providing should we be providing services a municipality to Moccasin and flats if we expect people to be camping there, Eric? Well, I certainly think it could lead to liabilities, but you know the question is, where do you start with consultation? Do you do you get all inclusive? You've got the business group there, and. Uh, You've also got the uh, the uh, people up on uh, top of the hill there. The uh, the uh, regular people that live there, and then you've got the uh, people that want to move into that area. So there's three groups there, and I don't hear anybody saying that the three groups should sit down and and discuss what's going on. You know, there's there's two groups down there that don't want them in Mogus and Flats. You know, we have to be honest about this. They don't want them there. And uh, then the people themselves, some of them don't want to be there. They're happy where they're at. So it's a real hodgepodge. And they need to sit down and, and look at the whole picture, not just work on a piecemeal, you know, because that's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, the Public engagement doesn't mean that you get what you want when you say to the government that you what you what you want, right? But there's a, a requirement for that engagement. Trudy, I mean, you're right in the middle of this as a city councilor. Do you think that the city staff are giving you adequate options? <laughs> well, let me tell you, because I am their employer, I won't. I, I can't. Uh, I'm not going to diss on them because that's uh, you don't do that to your employer when uh, in public. Or your employees in public. Um, I think I'm hopeful. Let me let me let me put it this way. I'm hopeful that the discussion that is happening now will result in in a solution that is more amenable to everyone. I think I you know I'm I'm hearing about this federal uh, the human rights person that you were just talking about or talking with. I think that is actually welcome attention because the city has been. Um, at, like in my mind, because the, uh, federal and provincial governments have been downloading their responsibilities to municipalities without adequate funding for years, and I think that is where the city is finding itself in a hard spot. And I really, I really sympathize with that. Um, could we be more creative? Very likely. Um, 
and so we'll see going forward. The decision by council won't happen until I think it's middle of April or around that time. So we do have a bit of time. Herb, they're not your employees. <laughs> what do you think about this? Uh, the fact that there's been no consultation still, I know that was brought up many times. The, the first Safe Streets bylaw came through, and they were talking about the requirement for consultation. Where's the consultation? Do you think that the city staff are doing an adequate job here? Uh, look, this is a, fits in with a long-term pattern of, um, uh, you know, the city really dragging its heels, uh, trying to provide any services w- whatsoever to these people. In fact, uh, taking them to court twice, right? And and they anyone anyone should have seen that that was a losing proposition. It was a waste of time and money, and it just um, uh, basically inflicted needless harm on these on these people who are are desperate for some sort of place to stay. So I don't I don't think it's a bad thing to put uh, people in in one spot, but give them some uh, services for God's sake. Uh, I mean, you know, the fact they won't even allow an extension cord. Right, so that they can heat a trailer. I mean, that's just petty. So there's someone in, in, in the, on city staff that really has to be rooted out and got rid of. I think um, this has gone on long enough. And um, you know, look, uh, they should have porta potties. They should have water. They should have some sort of means of cleaning up uh, electricity, heat. I mean, this, we're not in the Middle Ages, for God's sake. You know, these 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 aren't uh, big asks. And uh, whoever's uh, trying to stomp on these people has to go. Yeah, that's the uh, the the reference to the power there. There is a trailer being um, manned by a an NGO, and what I've heard is that they're paying about a hundred dollars a day in gas for their power because the city won't hook them up to to the grid. Uh, Art, what do you think here? The consultation and the services. Do you think that those are ways forward for this? Uh, how do you mean consultation for services? Consultation. Well, there there were two things, right? That the the homeless advocate said there. You need to consult with the people impacted, and you need to provide services for them. Well, you know, I'm not allowed to park my car just anywhere I want, and they don't consult with me when I do. They just tell me to move it. Um, I, I can't see that's necessary. Uh, she said to people. Uh, well, what, what she, that, that it's uh, uh, housing, the problem with housing in, in Canada or, and Prince George, which is why these people are there. No, they choose to be there. Um, when uh, last winter, when they were provided housing at Nights Inn, uh, they took it up and they were nice and warm all winter. And as soon as the weather warmed up, they moved back out camping. So that's where they want to be. Um, there, there's no moral obligation for any person or the city to provide for these people. There's maybe a legal obligation, and, uh, you know, maybe the best way to handle things is to provide some services for them, but uh, to provide free housing and that, that, that's not required. That's not a human right. Uh, human rights cannot be, require anything from any action from anybody else. They cannot require any expenditure of money from anybody else. They are things like the right to speak, uh, the freedom to of assembly, that kind of stuff. Uh, not housing. Housing costs money. I'm going to wear my political science nerd hat here. You are, you're describing negative rights, but uh, many human rights, as defined, are positive rights. They are rights to things like housing. Rights and, to speak. Well, not, not the rights to right to speak is actually a negative right. Right, it's, it's, people can't prevent you from speaking. But the way they're starting to uh, define the right to housing by the UN and 
the the Canadian Human Rights Commission that they're saying that people have a right to housing. No, no, no. That, well, that's... <laughs> well, the, the BC courts have actually determined that the people have a right to put a tent uh, somewhere. So why not, for the, that city, you know, put it, uh, services at Moxon Flats and let them put their tents there with some basic uh, human necessities? I mean, that's the... Maybe one option would be... Uh, what do they say? Honey instead of vinegar, right? Yeah. Uh, put the put the services there and see how it goes. I think that there's also the question that um, the the advocate there uh, asked: Why are people not choosing to go to Moccasin Flats? Well, there's nothing there. Why 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 would they go there? Nothing they, at Millennium Park either. But there are other like there are other reasons. I'm guessing, right? Oh sure, there's criminal, uh, <clears throat> you know, fear of criminal activity and fear of being. Uh, you know, assaulted or something. I mean, I, I don't want to go there myself. There's nothing. <laughs> you know? So why in hell would the other people not want to go there? Of course they don't. It's a, it's just a mess down there. Yeah. <clears throat> we have to kind of try to grow somehow. I don't know if we can. You know, just look at what we spend on our our uh, ice arenas and on our swimming pools and everything else. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Hundreds of millions of dollars we spend. On these buildings, and they're hardly even old enough to, you know, to grow a beard, and then we tear them down and build a new one. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just terrible. So we've got lots of money, and I refuse to believe that with the people that live in this country, that we can't get these three or four levels of government together and solve these problems. Because by not solving them, we're admitting defeat. And I don't think that an issue like that should be able to defeat a whole country. I mean, I keep I keep asking. Uh, it seems every time we ask this question, like, what are the what are the ways forward? Like, we I I think that this city has a lot of creative people in it, but again, I I keep seeing the same solutions offered from the staff at City Hall, which are do something to those people to get them out of the way. And there's no there's no creative solution to this thing, and that I don't think that 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 centralized encampment thing is going to reduce the crime or reduce the pooping on the sidewalk, especially if you don't provide toilets. I think, um, and I'll weigh in a little bit on on this. To be fair, I think to the city, they have there. I know that there have been attempts in the past to do consultation, and. I think it was a rather overwhelming process that resulted in everybody just saying, no, I'm not going to work with each other. Like all those organizations saying, no, I'm not going to work with them or I don't want to share the pot. So those are issues that the city has very little control over. Um, And so I think that's, I mean, and maybe that is where this will go. Maybe people will go, oh, wait a minute. We maybe need to work together, which would be very good for everyone. I mean, we've got we've got a new mayor. I I really have hopes for this guy um, to bring people together to lead. Um, but for instance, I just want to add this this one thing that I noticed. I went on the city website and saw the the press release that they had made about the fact that this proposed um, centralization had gone through the first two readings. The headline was something like Prince George City Council endorses centralization plan. It seemed like it was a done deal. And to my mind, when I hear that, I, I think, oh, those communications, I'm a communications person. Those communications person, people are, are kind of making conclusions about these issues prior to the city council actually having made that decision. And it seems to me that the staff are doing the same thing, presenting 
two bad options to city council as if they've done their due diligence. You you got to remember, five incumbents ran for city council, and five got in. So there are only two brand new to politics people on council, and and two you know that came from school board. So. That is what the people elected, right? And and you've got to honor that and work within that. So that's where we're at. Interesting. Uh, I'm. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after this. We going to move. want to see a different movie with your family each week and have popcorn included. Then drop by either branch of the Prince George Public Library on Thursdays, starting March thirtieth. A series of great family movies aimed at five to nine year olds, but all children must be accompanied by an adult. To get a look at what's playing each week, go to pgpl.ca slash events. Family Movies, a free drop-in event on Thursdays from 3 to 5.30 starting March 30th at both library branches. And don't forget, they provide the popcorn. Life Before the Pulp Mills, from your Council of Seniors, is a unique look at the early years of Prince George. The Goat Island Swimming Hole and Pier, the Old Army Hospital, and Making Do During World War II. It's a look back using the words of past Prince George residents, such as the Peckhams, Olingers, Kirschkeys, and others. Our city in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s comes alive for just $20. Life Before the Pulp Mills, available at the new Council of Seniors Resource Center, 1330 Fifth Avenue. The Teen Art Showcase is on display and runs until March 31st at your Prince George Public Library. Stop by the library to check out the latest submissions from budding local creative talents. The showcase will conclude with an awards reception at the library on Saturday, April 1st from 1 to 2. For more information, email lredpath at studio2880.com. That's Teen Art Showcase 2023 on display until March 31st at your Prince George Public Library. Budding athletes six years of age and older are invited to come out and join Prince George Track and Field. This is their 50th anniversary, making it a great year to get involved. It's a friendly yet competitive environment for people of all ages and skills. To check out their host of programs, visit pgtrackandfield.ca. Athlete registration is also available through the website or buy a membership to help support the club. Prince George Track and Field, celebrating 50 years of excellence. Visit pgtrackandfield.ca. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back. We're at the Friday panel. Uh, we're going to move on from Prince George's constant issue with housing and homelessness to uh, what seems to be a constant issue with our federal elections, actually moving into municipal elections. There are... There's news this week that uh, CSIS has claimed Beijing interfered in the Vancouver municipal election, supporting the mayor who won, uh, Ken Sim, and one unnamed councillor, claiming that through partially owned Beijing uh, ethnic media, Chinese language media, that they were supporting uh, the the mayor who, who won, Ken Sim, and this other unnamed councillor. Uh, this is interesting, falling on the heels of the announcement that uh, the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians, ENSACOP, will be uh, responsible for investigating foreign interference in our federal uh, elections. Trudy, what do you make of this? Uh, is ENSACOP going to do the job? And, I mean, what's happening in Vancouver? Well, golly, I can. I think I can clearly say on the record that I did not get any funding from... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's <laughs> what you would say. Unless, <laughs> well, unless, unless uh, some of my friends are, are affiliated. Um, and, you know, they could have ponied up a little bit more. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you know, gosh, just thinking about all of this, there's there's so many points. Like, you can regulate and monitor and everything, the heck out of everything. But at the end of the day, people have got to have some morals. Um, if you are a candidate accepting donations from people that... You should know, and especially at, like I would assume at the mayoral level in Vancouver, you should have a better grasp. I know that it's like, you know what, if somebody offers you money during a campaign, it's always a very happy thing. And, and you know, you sort of go, okay, who are they? And, and, and you do sort of keep track of that. And, but you're not in charge of every aspect of that. However, through a media company... Yeah, multiple uh, apparently multiple uh, Chinese language media outlets in Vancouver in and around Vancouver are actually partly owned by. But I mean, the to Chinese get a state. donation from a media company, that would. Seem- oh, I I don't think they're mentioning donations. I'm not sure if there was financial contributions okay. as they as they've alleged in the federal oh, okay. uh, s- situation. What they've said is that the Chinese Chinese the Chinese state was endorsing these candidates through their through media, the media organs that I they, see, yeah, I they see. partly own. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And we, and, and we don't know whether or not the candidates that they were supporting I mean, had a well, relationship and, with those. And you're asking, I had actually not heard about this organization before you asked, uh, put that on our uh, list of topics. Um, I mean, because I've been mostly reading about David Johnson and how he's getting tangled right. up in the whole federal thing. And it's like, poor David Johnson. I think he's a fine man, but I think he's actually being used a little bit. He's going to find that out in about a few months oh yeah that his good name was used no matter what his conclusions are people are gonna well yeah and I think it's, I think it's a little bit sad I don't think he should have accepted it because I think he has a good reputation but his good reputation is going to be used to sully and it's going to be sullied Herb I mean what do you think about this the, the the allegations continue what is the conclusion here and what Canada what should Canada be doing about it I think uh, CSIS and the conservatives are going crazy um <laughs> You know, uh, how is they're saying that uh, the Chinese are influenced the uh, municipal elections in Vancouver? Only thirty-six percent of the of the electorate came out and voted. Right. How, how did they? They magically got sixty-four percent of the people to stay home. Is that is that what they're alleging? I mean, look, you know, there's twenty uh, percent of the population of uh, Vancouver has uh, Chinese origin. If uh, how. How would that affect the vote if everyone went out and voted? Look, if uh, everyone's going to be trying, everyone in politics is is trying to pull some levers. That's just the, the facts of life. It's always been a fact of life, and it's con- going to continue to be a fact of life. And the fact that we've got uh, all sorts of uh, media hullabaloo now for weeks on end is just ridiculous. So let's let's just face it. You know the Indians are in there uh, uh, influencing elections. Uh, Chinese, Russians, Americans. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Iranians are you know trying to pull some strings. Everyone everyone's going to try and do it. 
But if Canadians went out and actually voted... <laughs> this is it, eh? Yeah. And I wonder if the the, the uh, resources that we have for Canadians to actually get people out to vote are far, far outweigh the resources being used by the Chinese consulate in Vancouver. Exactly. I mean, look, Australia has a law. You've got to vote. Otherwise, you're penalized. And look, that's something we've got to start looking at. Everyone's got to go out and do their civic duty. If, if you believe in Canada, stop belly aching about uh, Chinese or other conspiracies and just go out and bloody vote. Art, is this a big conspiracy or we should we ignore it and just work on voter uh, out? I kind of agree with her, but I think it's more uh, of a tempest Peter got in a to us all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of a tempest in a teapot. Um, like Herb said, how much influence can they have, really? Um, I don't know really anything about Ken Sim, the new mayor of uh, Vancouver. What little I've seen of him on the news, he seems to be a very capable fellow. So uh, uh, I don't see, you know, he's he's no tool of the Chinese Communist Party. Well, he won by sake. a landslide, too, like yeah, 37,000 votes. Yeah, so it, it couldn't have been just a Chinese influence, you know. Uh, but, you know... Okay, you know, like Herb said, they all try to do influence on other countries, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Prime Minister shouldn't have been just denying that all this time. He keeps denying that he knew anything about it, and that it made any difference at all, which how would he know if he didn't even know about it? Uh, (laughs) You know, Mark Garneau also denied, he was the Minister of Foreign Affairs when these CSIS reports were coming out. He also denied that he heard about this. Yeah. It seems crazy. The CSIS says they did. So, Uh, you know, way back, I recall in years gone by, when there's any kind of a kerfuffle or scandal like this, the government would appoint a royal commission to look into it, and they would be all shuffled off to that, and any time the public or media asked about it oh, the Royal Commission's working on that and after a while it would just fade away and we almost never heard about it again and so now we got this Ensicop thing and the rapporteur and you know, <laughs> learning all these I, 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 they're basically doing the same thing I guess Eric you got uh, are, are you concerned about uh, the Red Scare here or what uh, no not uh, really concerned about it but you know we have the BC elections and we have federal elections, and we have rules and regulations that govern our uh, how we run elections. And if you get outside those rules, you broke the law, and there's liability for that. Are they saying that these people broke the law, or they're just influencing? I think the municipal, yeah, the municipal part is that maybe those media corporations might have broken the law. Might have what? Maybe the media corporations might have broken the law. Yeah, well, that's possible. Yeah. So, and if that's the case, well, then, of course, you investigate it and lay charges, and, and that should be the end of it. But, uh, I don't know, like the uh, Sim says, you know, if he wasn't Chinese, we wouldn't be having this discussion. That's another thing to look at. I don't know whether that's true or he's just throwing water or, or mud in the water, but uh, who knows? All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. The next NRESI colloquium is this afternoon at UNBC. Research associate with the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Calgary, Dr. Fabian Mavrot, will present Developing a Framework to Integrate Indigenous Knowledge into Muskox Health and Population Assessment, a case study in the Canadian Arctic. Colloquiums are free to attend and open to the public. Indigenous Knowledge for Muskox Health with University of Calgary's Dr. Fabian Mavrot. The next NRESI colloquium this afternoon from 3.30 to 4.30 in 
Room 7-212 at UNBC. Many years ago, the Cree gifted the Métis with the name Atomisawa, the people who own themselves. This independence, resilience, and spirit has been beautifully captured by local artist Erin Stagg. Her series of acrylic paintings illustrating stories of Métis people are on display at Two Rivers Gallery through May 7th. Stop by and check out this one-of-a-kind presentation of Canadian historical culture. Optimisawa by Erin Stagg on through May 7th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity grows in the Canada Games Plaza. Advocates Walk for Life is an in-person, family-friendly outdoor event which gives walkers and runners the opportunity to participate in peer-to-peer fundraising. Invite your friends and family to sponsor your walk and tell them about Advocates' life-saving work. Registration and full details are available at walkforlife.ca where you can also create a fundraising page to share with family and friends. This year's Advocate Walk for Life is set for Saturday, May 27th from 1230 to 4 in Clay Light Memorial Park. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, wind up to 15K, heading for a high of 6. Tonight, clear, becoming partly cloudy near midnight. More wind, a low of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 8. For Saturday, clearing, wind becoming north 20 in the afternoon and a high of 7. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back to the Friday panel. We're here with Eric Allen, Trudy Clausen, Herb Martin, and Art Betke. Um... Prince George is once again on the bottom of uh, of another list. This time, <laughs> the headline in the Citizen says, Prince George is the worst place in B.C. to study. <laughs> uh, t- ranked 21st nationally for academic excellence. I think that's not bad, actually. But <laughs> the lowest in B.C., 38th out of 47 cities nationally, and the worst in B.C. for student quality of life. How can we improve this? I, you know, it's we're we're doing bad. We're doing bad. Like in the last week, Fraser Institute now Hello Safe. It's like good grief. Yeah, and that's and that's the public the public school system. I mean, and there I we have lots of issues with Fraser Institute. But how do we improve uh, student quality now for for post secondary? Let's not ask that for public school. Herb, uh, I don't know. I'll take a bit of a, a dissenting view here. I mean, actually, when I was over in Punjab uh, four years ago. Uh, there were billboards all over the place. Come study in Canada, right? And um, there's, there's, it's uh, enthusiastically accepted, right? A lot of people do come over here, and they come over here because it's better than where they came from. So, you know, I mean, we could be doing better, but you know, we actually are providing, uh, you know, opportunity, uh, education. Um, you know, it, it's. Uh, I don't think we have to constantly uh, uh uh you know whip ourselves or whatever you know it's it's uh so we're not the worst place in the world <laughs> <laughs> therefore we're fine well, pe- pe- people are spending a lot of money to get here right and you know they wouldn't come if if they thought it was you know the word gets back let's put it that way right all right what do you think is there a way that we could be improving the quality of life for students here in, in the north I, I'm not familiar with the 18 criteria that were used to determine this ranking. Um, I didn't bother looking it up because I think it's rather silly. Uh, I, I remember, was it McLean's does an annual ranking of universities yeah. and we're always near the top. Yep. So really good you know, uh, in terms of academic outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the UNBC, uh, 
facility. The campus itself is quite attractive. Uh, looks pretty good to me when I've been in there. Uh, well, our city isn't quite as pretty as others, but we're in a northern climate, you know, cooler. Okay, maybe that's one thing that's a detraction, especially if somebody comes from a warmer place. But, you know, why are you here? To study or to admire the city? Uh, I, I, I don't see the connection, really. Uh, you know, and I've been in Vancouver. Uh, I actually attended UBC down in Vancouver a long time ago. That congestion down there, compared to here, I'd choose this place any day, you know, no matter the weather difference. So uh, I think it's uh, subjective. I don't think it makes any sense at all. I mean, I wonder, just from a, the perspective of a student in those in those environments, if you're at UNBC, there's you know that that pub is almost never open. The coffee shops are are rarely open, right? So you're stuck there. It, you know, it's tough to get back down. You got to get on the bus. I mean, maybe that's just part of it. S- same at CNC. There's there's a cafeteria there. There's no on campus pub. You know, like the, I think that one of the things we could be doing is is asking uh, our our universities and colleges to think a little more about that student culture. Eric, do you think we need to be spending more uh, airtime and effort on improving the student quality of life? Well, I suppose we could. <laughs> <clears throat> There's a lot more people in this town besides students. There's only, who knows, 3,000 students maybe. But aside from that, if, if they want to have a popularity contest, we lose. We don't have those things working for us. We have to be realistic. Like you fly into Prince George in the wintertime, you know, <laughs> You just shake your head like, where the hell am I going? You know, where, are we going to land down there? I mean, maybe it's a set of skis for every student that comes into town. <laughs> people who actually live there. But anyway, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of tough. Like, I've I'm, I'm been here all my life, and, you know, now we're into March. I think I'm in a kind of a semi-depression just from <laughs> just going through this winter. You know, you're in the dark for six months. <laughs> I sit out in the front porch now when the, the sun's going down. I get a little sunshine, and, and I'm surrounded by snowbanks. <laughs> and you hope but aside to- from that, if people have things that want to winter sports, that's fine. If you want to go to the pubs, that's fine. I've been out at the uh, university there, and we wanted to go into the the uh, restaurant there for coffee or have something, and you can't do it. The only people no. who can go in there is the students who pay ahead of time or something. Like, it's just bogus. Or you sit around and... Uh, out in the lounge there, and uh, in fact, as we came out the wrong door the last time I was there, and we got lost in the back end. Walking, <laughs> you were walking lost in the wilderness? I was <laughs> <laughs> just going through the snow trying to find a door that wasn't locked. You know? I mean, that's another issue <laughs> with all the locked doors. good thing you're not a <laughs> Trudy? I mean, what oh, could, my, you're, you're oh. on city council. Is there something that... Well, more more okay, work no, for no, you. You, you. Fix this. More work. Exactly. Um, <laughs> let me just... I just... I'm looking up their criteria. The criteria for quality of life. Number one, monthly cost of the rental of a studio in, in the city center. Right. We know that that's really high. Um, the number of inhabitants. So our new mayor is working on that. We're trying to get more people. Access to nature... Hey, we're, we got lots we, of that. That, that. We should have gone through the and, and the climate. Okay, we lose. Uh, okay, <laughs> and then and then I'll just move on. That they had a few more there, but I just and then the criteria for attractiveness: number of big cities with more than five hundred thousand people in a radius of five hundred kilometers. 
<laughs> so, I mean, that's like it's it's kind of stacked against us. Well, I, yeah. I mean, no wonder we were at the bottom. Um, or we were at a Costco. Did the they put Costco in there? <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> um, what about people who like small towns? Uh, accessibility right? by road, train, and plane. We got that. We Well, we, right. and then student number of students within the university for quality of student life. Um, oh, the number of bars and restaurants in a radius of 10 kilometers. Oh, yeah, we're pretty good with that. Know, have, we were better, but but, yeah. but see, number of and one other one is number of universities within the city. We only have a dismal one. We have one university. They don't have colleges on there. I mean, no. Hmm, interesting. So no wonder. So you got to always look at the just like that's Fraser. that's smart. Yeah, you have to look at who's who's actually raking. Yeah, in, ra- they're, ranking. They're, it looks like they made it. They designed it so that we would fail. <laughs> they. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as we're all a little punchy this morning. <laughs> right. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages to talk about uh, a little more serious topic. The Aboriginal Sports Circle is hosting a 2023 National Aboriginal Hockey Championship May 7th to 13th in Winnipeg. The BC Team Players Selection Camp is March 31st to April 2nd in Kamloops. U18 and U15 female and male Indigenous players are eligible to try out. Registration and full details are available through the iSpark.com. The 2023 National Aboriginal Hockey Championship Team BC Player Selection Camp, March 31st to April 2nd in Kamloops. Registration deadline is today. Alzheimer's Society of BC's online education offers small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Learn practical strategies to better understand change in behavior to respond in supportive ways on Thursday, March 23rd. Registration and more information on this Focus on Behavior presentation is available by calling the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Understanding Behavior Changes, Thursday, March 23rd from 6 to 7.30 through alzbc.org. For the month of March, Studio 2880 is pleased to present Fantazine, a wonderful exhibit utilizing beautiful plants and colors found in nature. Feature gallery artist Barb Ramsey shares her stunning eco-prints and plant-dyed silk designs through reflective textiles and organic processes. Available for viewing during regular gift shop gallery hours, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, Fantazine by Barb Ramsey in the feature gallery through March 28th at Studio 2880, 2880 15th Avenue. The Elder Citizens Recreation Association needs your help. The ECRA is looking for help with organizing their monthly birthday tea, doing setup and takedown for meeting events, catering, lunchtime dining room and kitchen help. There's also a need for occasional computer program assistance and someone to clear their sidewalks when it snows. Any help will be greatly appreciated. If you can help out, call the Elder Citizens Recreation Association office at 250-561-9381. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the After 9 political panel, and we're talking a little bit about um, something a little bit hard to hear about. Uh, you know, Dale Culver was was killed in 2017, allegedly uh, by police. Um, well, he was in police custody when he died, and now there have been charges laid six years later. I believe it's manslaughter for two and obstruction of justice for four more. Um the family of Dale Culver was coming into town on Tuesday for this Tuesday hearing, the preliminary hearing into this, and uh, then they were notified on the weekend, I believe Saturday night, that the hearing would be delayed until May. Uh, you know, there are there are actual laws in Canada that that put into 
into reality this concept that justice delayed is justice denied. If you are charged with a serious crime, put into custody, and it takes too long to get to trial, they will let you go. However, when you're a victim of crime, it seems like that doesn't really apply. I guess that's my concern here. Art, I mean, what is there a way that we should be reevaluating how we look at, especially murder by police? Oh, any kind of uh, criminal activity, uh, why is it taking this? I can't see why it takes this long. If If it's because we're so short of personnel that we can't do it, then we better beef up the personnel. But there, I can't see any excuse for taking this six years. Come on. Uh, I don't know, Eric, if someone else had committed this murder, do you think it would take six years? Uh, off the top of my head, I'd say probably not. Highly unlikely, unless it was a, <clears throat> a well-connected politician or something. The uh, So if they got six years... Uh, are they going to drop the charges because they didn't get tried soon enough? No, they just got charged. <laughs> oh, they just got charged. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> uh, I'm always I'm somewhat amazed to see the length of time some of these things take. It's unbelievable. The downtown situation, like Moggerson Flats, been around for eight or ten years, maybe longer. If you want to go really back, you can go back 40 years, so. I think that politicians in general don't have the authority, the power, the will to actually take take the lead on these issues. Nobody stands up and says, look, it, I'm not going to let go of this until we get a solution. Everybody kind of passes it along. It's kind of like a relay race. Eh? If you can make it to that guy and give it to him, <laughs> then he's gone with that. I don't have to worry anymore. So I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Trudy, I mean, I'm seeing over in Grand Prairie. I mean, I don't know if this is related to this specific issue, but they're talking about getting rid of the RCMP and going with the municipal police force. Seems more manageable. I don't know if that's a, if that's the, the the solution here. If if it had been a municipal police force, would the charges have been laid any sooner? I don't know. But like, what's your thinking here? Are we? How do we get out of this? This is six years before they get charged, and then they go ahead and push this off again. I mean, my heart goes out to the family. That's got to be just incredibly difficult, especially to get noticed so late. I mean. Uh, I, you know, it's, I mean, I know Surrey, I think right now they're actually paying for two police forces because they're backtracking on their plan to, to get rid of the RCMP, right? Wow. Wow. And I'm not sure that, that just setting up another new organization is, is the key. I think, at some point, somebody's got to have some guts, some some courage. I, I saw this little um, a little meme came across my feed. Intelligence without courage is useless. And so it's not that there aren't smart people, but when you have no courage, uh, moral courage, moral fiber to actually make sure that you do the right thing so that you're not just running uh, long enough so that you can pass the baton on to someone else to deal with, I mean, I think that's the key problem here. You can legislate and make rules and everything out of your yin-yang, but people who don't want to do the right thing won't, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, other than you've got to get good people in good place, in the places that need them. Yeah, I wonder, Herb, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're bringing in an independent investigation unit from Alberta to investigate the RCMP and Prince George over those, those historic allegations of assault, etc., do we need actually an independent um, 
uh, investigation unit that is not ha- does not have police in it. Like the IIO, what I understand, is a bunch of reti- retired police officers, and that's part of the reason why it takes so long and, and why police are so infrequently charged with things like murder. Do we need to change that system? Is that Will that p- possibly get us towards more actual justice? Well, okay. First thing, I you know, actually, they're police are charged with manslaughter, not manslaughter, murder, right? right? It's a, it, it is a difference. It I is mean, a difference. They, yeah, he was pepper sprayed and he died subsequently. That's the, the police story. The videos say show a different story. He was uh, violently tackled to the ground walking out of a liquor store. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it brings to mind uh, the Robert Jazanski uh, story, where the Polish immigrant arrived at the airport and. Within I don't know within an hour or so it was dead after being pepper sprayed numerous tased. times or tased, tased, yeah. tased rather sorry and uh, but the similarities in both cases are that um, other RCMP officers uh, obstructed justice and in both cases dragged the, the proceedings out so I think this is a I don't think irrespective of whatever police force it is there's a there's always that um, tendency of police to uh, protect each other. And I think it's RCMP or municipal police force. This is what happens. People try and, you know, get their stories uh, to uh, to jibe. And um, and that's why they're being charged with, you know, the three are being charged with obstruction of justice. And this is, the, this is what drags it out. But it's good that these people are charged. But I think the penalties uh, should be greater. Uh, you know, I think the the Jasansky case. I think they got uh, thirty months in jail. Um, but uh, and I think the proceedings there. I think with three or four years. You know, not six. But this is this is the problem dealing with police. Yeah, I wonder. I, I heard from an ex police officer to say saying, "Listen, the attitude is I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six. That was a really interesting phrase I heard. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the, there is, frankly, if you're if you're suiting up every morning in that in that uniform, there is always the potential, the risk of of, uh, of violence to you. Yeah. And that seems to, you know, put people on alert, and therefore make potentially make them more likely to actually commit that violence. Right. Well, yeah, and like my husband, like we've always taught our kids, you've got to recognize that that if the cops are coming after you, they have a gun, and they are on high alert. You just don't do anything that would antagonize them because they are also people, and you've got to be like they're the ones with the gun. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, removing guns from the situation wouldn't have changed things for Dale Culver, right? Because it was no. it was actually the the you know we they the, the 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 claim is that he died because of the pepper spray, but like I say, that there was a, there was extreme violence committed against him in advance of that. We don't have a solution to this, unfortunately. That's a big, a big tough question. But uh, thanks, everyone, for coming in this morning and sharing your thoughts. And have a great weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, Prince George, proudly partnered with local community groups like the Railway and Forestry Museum on River Road next to Cottonwood Island Park.